InfoTrack continues. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. Does cash from special interests corrupt our political process? Many Americans think it does, but is there a solution? InfoTrack's Roy Mackey talks with a top legal and ethics expert who has some startling ideas. Roy? Thanks, Chris. Our guest is Lawrence Lessig. He's the Roy L. Furman Professor of Law at Harvard Law School and director of the Edmund J. Safra Center for Ethics at Harvard University and the author of a book called Republic Lost, How Money Corrupts Congress and a Plan to Stop It. Let's start with what you see as the greatest problem with Congress today. Well, you've got an institution where members have replaced their primary job, which is representing citizens, with a secondary job, which is raising funds to either get themselves reelected or get their party back in power. Somewhere between 30 and 70% of a representative's time is spent in the game of raising money. And as any of us humans recognize, if you spend 30 to 70% of your time doing something, you increasingly adjust or bend yourself in a way that makes it easier to raise money. So you constantly are aware how everything you do might affect or interfere with the ability to raise money. And so you shapeshift in the shape necessary to raise the most money and increasingly ignore the core dynamic that the framers intended, which was a dependency not on the funders, but upon the people. And that systematically leads Congress to act in a way against the interest of people who elect them, and leads the people to increasingly believe Congress is just a bought institution, and therefore people become very cynical about that institution. Let's say my congressman goes to Washington and manages to remain untainted and does not spend 30 to 70 percent of his time raising money. He'd probably be a one-term congressman, wouldn't he? Yeah, and he'd be punished by his party. And indeed, I've spoken to congressmen who are refusing or want to refuse to pay their tax, their party tax, and they are punished by not having the same kind of resources that other members of Congress have, because the resources are given as a quid pro quo for raising money. So they either would be a one-term congressman or not a very influential congressman, but I think more likely is eventually the congressman would learn how to play inside the system. And that's the key. I think your question highlights a key point that I emphasize in the book. I'm not talking about bad people, and I'm not talking about people who break the law or people who go to Washington for the wrong reason. They go to the Washington for the right reason. They get elected. They believe they have a purpose, whether it's a Republican purpose or a Democratic purpose, and they try to do what they were elected to do. But they live within a system that can't help but bend them in a certain way as they learn how to profit and prosper inside that system. And that means increasingly how to raise money inside that system. You know, one thing that's always amazing to me is that polls show that 80% of Americans have a low opinion of Congress's performance. And yet, well over 80% of incumbent senators and congressmen are reelected time after time. That's true. Although it's interesting, the standard way in which people think highly of their congressperson but hate Congress has begun to weaken. Increasingly, people don't think highly either of their congressperson or Congress. But one of the reasons why there is that gap is exactly what I was describing. You have this sense in your head, all of us do, that there's something corrupt about Congress. But when we meet our congressperson, in fact, this person's a decent person, a hardworking person. You can't quite think of that person as the corrupt person that we think of Congress as a whole as being. And that's because, again, the kind of corruption here is not 
the kind of corruption that's regulated by the law. It's more the corruption of an institution that's not paying attention to the things it should pay attention to. And I think that as people recognize that it's not the people, it's not the bad apple, it's more the barrel that we need to worry about or the system in which these people function, I think we can get attention towards this more fundamental problem. Let's talk about some potential solutions. You think some perhaps extreme measures may be needed. Yeah, I am very skeptical about whether Congress has the capacity to cure itself. I think the cancer has developed quite extensively, and people inside of the Beltway depend so fundamentally on the system surviving for their own futures. They kind of imagine themselves becoming lobbyists. They imagine sending their kids to college on the basis of the income they're going to get as lobbyists. So I think inside the Beltway, reform is very unlikely. And that leads me in the book to talk about three insane ideas that are at least possible to bring about the change. And the most dramatic is the one that our framers gave us when the framers worried that maybe Congress itself would become corrupted. They provided a method for amending the Constitution that in an important way bypasses Congress. The states ask Congress to call a convention, and the convention then proposes amendments which then the states have to ratify by three-fourths in order to become part of the Constitution. And that, in the end, might be the most effective organizing technique for building a movement to get around the kind of corruption which is inside of Congress. Our guest on InfoTrack is Professor Lawrence Lessig from Harvard Law School. He's the author of a book called Republic Lost, How Money Corrupts Congress and a Plan to Stop It. And we're discussing every politician's need for campaign cash and how that affects the way Congress works and what can be done about it. Professor Lessig, I'm just trying to judge the likelihood of this. When was the last time a constitutional convention was convened? It would go back to the founding, right? That's right. The constitutional convention under Article 5 has never happened, although the Constitution itself was drafted inside of a constitutional convention. But we came very close before Congress proposed the 17th Amendment. That was the amendment that made it so the Senate would be elected as opposed to appointed. And one of the reasons Congress proposed that amendment is that the states were within one vote of having enough states calling for a convention, which was driven by the desire to get senators elected. The Congress just said, let's avoid the convention and just propose the amendment ourselves. And I think that that's actually the dynamic that would happen here. You would see as the movement towards the convention grew, eventually it would become so prominent that Congress would actually want a way to make it go away. And one of the easiest ways to make it go away is to give the reform movement what the reform movement wants without the convention. From a standpoint of building steam toward a constitutional convention, what would that require? Would it take, for example, a president who made that a main priority of pushing that to the front of the public's agenda? Would it take several major media personalities doing it? What would it take? It would certainly be great to have a president, maybe even a former president, who resolved that this system was so broken we needed some fundamental change. It certainly would take lots of sane people from the left and the right to convince people that this process could be managed in a way that wouldn't produce craziness. I also think we need to start having mock conventions right now and not just ask people to come together and talk about the Constitution, but structure it so we randomly select 300 people from the population, bring them together, give them the information they need to think about the issue, and just let them deliberate so that we could begin to demonstrate that actually ordinary citizens thinking about these issues seriously in the right context could produce quite sensible responses that might, in fact, be the sort of responses that should be part of the Constitution, as compared, at least, to the kind of proposals that come out of Congress, which I don't think many people are 
impressed with at all. So I think that we need to think about all these happening at the same time in a way that begins to convince people of the sanity of that process. Considering the extraordinary polarization of our political system right now, what is the likelihood of anything like this actually gathering steam and occurring? Well, I think that the real challenge is to take that anger that's obviously manifested itself both in the Tea Party and now in the Occupy Wall Street movements and focus that in a way that could actually have some effect. So if the Tea Party or the Occupy Wall Street people think of what they're doing in simple left-right terms, then I think, you know, there's no hope to any reform because we're not going to change the system with just one fraction of the system supporting the change. We need a cross-partisan movement. But when people hear the word cross-partisan, that sounds to them like somebody's talking about compromise. What I mean by cross-partisan is partisans recognize that they need to wage their battles within a system that has integrity, that they can trust, that has the right rules. And when the system is breaking down systematically, both sides have got to stop for a minute and say, well, maybe we've got to worry about the system for a minute and get it in shape so that it can actually be the platform within which we battle about whether taxes should be raised or lowered for the rich and whether Social Security should be re-strengthened or cut back. And I think that the Occupy Wall Street movement actually has a chance to signal that because the Occupy Wall Street movement is as much about the corruption of our political system as it is about hatred towards the rich. And I think that if we could talk more about the corruption of our system and less about hatred to the rich, then we could motivate a wide range of people, including Tea Party people, who could begin to get behind that. Not saying, let's compromise our views, but instead saying, let's restore the democracy so that when we each of us win, we at least win. Right now, you win, but you don't win because you can't get anything you want done actually passed because of the way systematically money blocks reform inside this political system. Lawrence Lessig, professor of law at Harvard Law School and author of the book Republic Lost, How Money Corrupts Congress and a Plan to Stop It. Professor Lessig, where can people learn more about you online? You could go to republiclost.org or just my website, which is lessig.org. Well, thank you very much for joining us on InfoTrack. Thank you. And for InfoTrack, I'm Roy Mackey. You're listening to InfoTrack, the weekly show with information you should know.